Arsenal Ozil. Marca Mesut Ozil. Corner. Llegó el gol de Olivier Giroud. Marca el Arsenal. Marca Olivier Giroud. Gol de los Gunners. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunner Blog. Goodly morning to you. Goodly morning. How you doing? I'm okay. It's bank holiday here. Like you last week, you uh, you you were there for the people on a bank holiday Monday. I am here for the people on a bank holiday Monday as well. My voice <coughs> is a little bit croaky, unfortunately, uh, but that's the consequence of talking. Talking. Talking, talking. out loud. Yeah, that'll, that'll do you. Well, if you're just silent for the remainder of the podcast, I reckon you'll be fine. Okay. <laughs> don't leave me, honestly. I don't know what I would end up saying. Um, well, happy bank holiday to you. Uh, thanks for being here, nonetheless. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful day. We've had, like, a beautiful week of weather in Dublin, which is fantastic. Had the barbecue out. Sat out in Very the sun nice. a little bit yesterday. Ended up with a, a head that looked like a burnt potato. Sure. You know, sure. you know, I mean, you, of course, with your Irish roots, you know how well we take the sun. Indeed, I do indeed. It's a dangerous it's a dangerous place to be outside at this time of year. <laughs> Certainly is, but fun all the same. Indeed. Um, well, that's good. It sounds like you're having a lovely time of it. Mm. I, had, I had a terrible week. I know, I heard. Um, obviously, you had a <laughs> pretty scary incident. I did. I was, I was kind of mugged, I guess, is the, is the correct term. Police describe it as a robbery, but that sounds a bit dramatic. Yeah, so look, tell people what happened, because there were firearms involved. There were firearms involved. So I was standing on the street in Hackney, of all places, mm -hmm. ordering a taxi after a long day. I was filming something, and it had been quite arduous. I mean, I know filming, it's difficult to imagine filming is arduous, but I had to do a lot of running in the rain. And so I was a bit grumpy. And um, I was ordering a taxi on Uber, the app on my phone. Yeah. You know, you know the one. So I was looking for this taxi, stood on the pavement, suddenly had a rev behind me on the pavement. I was like, that's weird, something's revving on the pavement. And before I could quite figure out what went on, two guys on a motorbike sped past and uh, snatched the phone clean out of my hand. It was gone. Phone snatchers. Phone snatchers, incredible. Invasion of the phone snatchers. So w it was gone by that point. The, the, game, the jig was up. But being the idiot that I am, I thought I would try to chase this motorbike. <laughs> have, have you ever, I just want to ask before we take this story any further, have you ever, and we've spoken about your, your running uh, before, mm. has there ever been a time in your life where you have chased or outrun mm. a motorbike? No, I'll be honest with you. There was absolutely no logical reason for me to believe that there was anywhere I could catch a motorbike. <laughs> but I was fueled by anger. I was very annoyed. Yes. I may have shouted something quite aggressive. Like uh, what? What these... did you say? I think I said, come back here, you cunts, or something like that. That seems reasonable. Cunts, maybe. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And at that point, the guy on the back of the bike uh, produced a, a firearm right. uh, to dissuade me. I mean, he obviously didn't know that I wasn't quick enough to catch the bike because he was worried enough about it to point a gun at me. Yeah. So... I mean, I'd say that was unnecessary. They could have just ridden off. Um, but, but yeah, they, they did. Weird also to not use the gun 
for the robbery itself, but just afterwards, almost just like showing off, like look what we look what we could have done. Well, I mean, look, look, maybe they're 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 being a bit sensible. We we just want the guy's phone. We don't necessarily want to kill him. No, but if he chases the bike, he looks like he might be quick enough to capture it. So then produce the gun. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the deterrent, isn't it? In case you do rob somebody who is capable of running fast enough to catch up a motorbike. They messed with the wrong guy. Um, anyway, the, the gun was enough to distract me sufficiently that I didn't even get the registration of the bike. Did you so, just, what did you, I mean, did you just stop? I mean, I stopped running at that point. I was like, because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was probably about f- five metres away. Yeah. I was like, well, if I, I don't think guns can shoot further than five metres, so if I just stay back here... I'll be safe. Fucking hell, that's the bu- weird. The bullet will drop to the ground <laughs> before it reaches me. Jesus. Um, yeah, it was really weird. And then I got home by some other means. And uh, when I got home, I called the police. And brilliantly, they said to me, when did it happen? I said, about an hour ago. And they said to me, is there any reason why you didn't telephone us straight away? <laughs> I, I honestly, I was like, oh, there's a, yeah, there's one quite big reason. Yeah. Yeah. One quite fa- big reason. Fairly fundamental reason as to yeah, why I, I did not... I, I mean, I was so exasperated. I, the woman who I was talking to ended up having to say, I'm sorry, we do have to ask that. <laughs> so I clearly had made it very clear that I was quite annoyed. Um, oh, my goodness. But that kept happening. You know, my, I said to my flatmate, oh, I had to wait ages and hail a cab. And he said, sorry, well, why don't you just call one? I was like, oh, for God's sake. <laughs> People haven't understood this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, everyone has a phone. Even when their phone gets robbed, they've got a phone. Exactly. Well, I'm my spare phone that yeah. I keep in my sock. Um, well, I'm, so there I'm, you go. Yeah. It was exciting, but very annoying. And yeah. I've spent the past week sort of, you know, filling in insurance forms. And sure. Like that. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. That's a weird and scary and, and not nice thing to happen to you. But it, it is did, a bit. It did at least make for an amusing story on a podcast. It's a good anecdote, isn't it? And also, my misfortune generally equates to good news for Arsenal, right? Yes. Yes, it does. And so there you go. Wow. Talk about good fortune. Talk about things happening. I guess we're going to have to talk about this, um, this Jamie Vardy thing. I haven't heard much about that. What's going, <laughs> what's going on there? Uh, um, yeah, no, I mean, that's... Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're, we're at the stage now where there's literally a live blog happening on the Telegraph's website about, you know, what he's going to decide in the next 60 minutes, apparently. It's 10.30 oh, really? on Monday morning, yeah. Does, I mean, is anybody at this point in any way worried about what he's going to decide? Like, all of a sudden he might go, oh, you know, actually, I think I'll... I think I'll stay at Leicester. I think that would be a very strange move, wouldn't it? That would be very uh, to have come this far. Yeah, it would, to come this far, it would be very odd. It really very would. Odd. Um, I don't think that's what will happen. I don't think it would have got to this stage without significant contact between the players' representatives and the club, right? Absolutely. And my understanding of the whole situation is that this has been going on for a couple of weeks. In the background, mm. that the two clubs have been talking at board level. So I guess that's Ivan and, and the Dick, Dick Law, yes. doing their bit between the two clubs. And uh, as, far as, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's all agreed between the clubs, fees and everything else. You were saying it's uh, probably a little more expensive than the $20 million that's being reported. I think so. I think that, well, I, I can't speak with too much detail, but I know that the clauses, the release clauses in the Leicester contracts are quite complex. Um, and they all involve 
very curious things like you know they they exist within certain time frames so the bid has to be made by such a date and the deal has to be completed by such a date and in order to get around some of those hurdles sometimes more money has to be involved i think it will end up being more like 25 million right okay i mean that's a that's probably a sensible way for leicester to do business and to do uh to to do those contracts aware that perhaps uh, when their players um become hot properties like they have after the season that they've had, Mm. that if and when uh, the bigger clubs come calling, which is fairly inevitable, which is what happens when a small club does very well or or players stand out at at so-called smaller clubs, they attract the interest of the big guys. But then to put those clauses in there, uh, because people will say, well, this is Arsenal being uh, decisive and on the front foot in the transfer market, which to an extent it probably is, but also what it is is Leicester knowing early in the summer what's happening with their best players and how then they can go about replacing them. That's it. So Leicester protect themselves by putting you know, dates in, in these deals that mean that if they're going to happen, they have to happen by a certain point in the summer. So they can uh, you know, secure a replacement. And also sometimes they'll even work the other way. So it'll be like, well, the deal can't be completed until such and such a date mm. in case higher bids arrive. So it's, it's, they are complex clauses, but uh, I think Arsenal seem to be you know, working their way through this one. And it, it certainly feels as if deal's going to be imminent. Yeah. Were you, were you surprised? Because it was Friday evening when this news broke. I was in the pub having a couple of pints and uh, went to the bathroom, as you do, mm. after a few pints. And uh, like everyone does, I think, these days, you know, the art of conversation at the urinal is gone, isn't it? Nobody does yeah. it anymore. Evening fella, how are you? <laughs> Looking good. Nice. Um, uh, no, everyone is staring. <laughs> everyone is just staring at their phones or they're checking Twitter or what have you. So uh, I was checking Twitter and I was like, what? What? Jamie, Jamie Vardy? Release clause? Arsenal? What? I know. I, I certainly, I'll admit openly, I didn't see this coming. Um, it was a real surprise to me. And I guess, you know, the, the clubs have been keeping it quiet for some of the reasons outlined, but it's... Uh, it's it's very un Arsene Wenger, isn't it? It is. Um, um, yeah, I guess, I guess it is, because in one way it is, in another way not so much, because when you look at the striker market this summer, who's available, who are the candidates that we've been talking about on this podcast? Higuain, mm-hmm. release clause of what? 70 million pounds? 60, 70 million. 60, 70 yeah. million. Now, maybe you don't have to pay that much to get him, but you've got to come closer to it than, than what we're paying for, for Jamie Vardy. And again, you know, 60 million pounds for a 28 year old or 20 odd million pounds for a 29 year old, there is, there is something there. Lukaku, who moved, what, to Everton for, I guess it was 25 million, 28 million, something like million, that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's going to add. You're going to you're going to be looking at it, what at least 45 million for a 23 year old striker who scored 20 odd goals, 25 goals mm. uh, for Everton last season. You're looking at it, it was sort of 45 to 50 million. They're talking about 50 million pounds uh, for uh, Alvaro Morata uh, if Real Madrid buy him back from Juventus and sell him on to us, uh, a player of of some potential, obviously. But you're paying 50 million pounds for a 23 year old who scored, you know, uh, 10 goals or whatever it was last season, 12 goals, and who spent a lot of the season uh, as a substitute. So when you look at the the market or the players available or, or the ones that we've been linked with, and um, what spending that amount of money on one of those players might do to the rest of what we want to do this summer, 
then it starts to make a bit more sense because I do think that Arsene Wenger is looking at strengthening the squad in a number of other areas. Um, we know that the left back uh, Rodriguez from from Wolfsburg is very much on the agenda. I would be absolutely staggered if we didn't also sign a wide player this summer. So mm. I, I think on on that basis. If you look at it from a financial point of view and say it doesn't make much sense for Arsene Wenger to spend 20 million plus on a 29-year-old, on on face value, yes. But in the overall context of what we need to do this summer, there is a, an element of, I suppose, value or using your money as well as you can. I suppose that's true. And I also think clearly what's happened is Arsene's looked at the market, looked at the strikers who are out there and appears to have decided that that kind of 50 million, 60 million pound striker that he potentially would like isn't available to him he doesn't feel that's a deal that he can do and and in the past maybe he would have thought well in that case I'm not going to bring somebody in I'm not going to spend money yeah. if I'm not absolutely convinced it's the right thing to do um, if there's a long-term target I will wait for my man and actually I view it as a positive thing that in this instance he's gone well rather than you know, sit on my hands and do nothing. I am going to do the the deal that is available to yeah. us and that and that is practical. Mm. Um, I suppose the only slight surprise is that he's reached that conclusion quite so early in the summer. But maybe you know there are there are other influences exerting on that that make him think I've got to get this done now, such as the Euros and such as potentially the clauses in the contract. Yeah, Copa America as well, and and knowing as early as possible what kind of a squad we're going to have to go into the new season because players who do go far in the Euros are going to need holidays. Players who go far in Copa America, you think of Alexis in particular, are going to need holidays. Mm. Uh, And maybe that there is... um, The the idea of doing things early in the summer seems eminently sensible, doesn't it? I mean, it's still only the start of June and it looks like we're we're making uh, another signing on top of Granit Xhaka, of course. Um, I I think that there's, there's... an interesting thing going on in terms of the character of the players that we're, we're buying uh, in, in Xhaka and in uh, Jamie Vardy, if uh, and when he does arrive, that you would certainly say that these are two guys with, with personality on the pitch. You wouldn't call them uh, soft men, no, no, would no, you? No shrinking violets. Exactly. Um, yeah. and, and there's definitely a sense, you know, among some Arsenal players, that we're just a bit too nice that we let mm. things happen to us and don't react. And I'm not saying that we should be violent or aggressive. Uh, well, maybe we should be a bit more aggressive, but, you know, within reason, of course. Uh, I, I think there's definitely something... Uh, it's no coincidence, anyway, to my mind, that, that he's brought in or he's brought in Jacka and he's bringing in Vardy. Um, obviously, he rates them as footballers, but to, to add something else, something intangible to the squad in terms of its character, in terms of what these guys will put up with, with what they'll drive their teammates to do and everything else, uh, I think it's really interesting. It is really interesting. It is really interesting. And I think a positive thing, I mean, I suppose we should address the issue of uh, any reservations we might hold over Jamie Vardy's character. You know, that I mean, we're talking about him there, I guess, in a positive sense, but there are certain negative elements to his his game in terms of his his diving and his gamesmanship and also off the field you know he's been involved Mm. in some controversies how does that how do you feel about all all that kind of side of it how do i feel about all that um i know it's not an easy one definitely i mean no it's definitely not yeah before we do that um we were uh, asked we'll, we'll come to that because we do have questions on that and definitely something we'll address but just uh, where is the email now? Sorry, I'm just going to get my email up here. Uh, it comes from Richard Pike, 
And Richard, uh, answer, uh, he sent us a question back in November, and he asked, uh, he asked us about Jamie Vardy and what we thought of him and whether we'd like to see him at Arsenal. So this is that clip. This is from Arscast Extra number 91 back on the 2nd of November 2015. Okay, here's another one. No, I'll do I'll do one. This one comes from Richard Pike, and he wants to know, would you be happy to see Jamie Vardy at Arsenal? I actually would be quite happy to see Jamie Vardy at Arsenal. I'm not sure that we need him. Um, I also think, I mean, he's 28 years old. He'll be 29 in January. Uh, so I do think he'll be in a hurry to get himself a nice big move. But I think he's a really exciting player to watch. I, I love how direct he is. I love his pace. I think he's he's finishing really well. I think he's a real th- real threat. And he mm. was superb against us, actually, as well. It's sort of difficult to ascertain if he's got that kind of you know Champions League level quality because he's come from so far from the non-league. But... I know it's a different time, but Ian Wright was a very, very late bloomer. I think he arrived at Arsenal about 27, 28. I don't think it will happen, and, I, and I'm sure his price will be exorbitant given his Englishness and his form, but mm. I definitely think he's a, an interesting player. What I, do you make of him? I like watching him, I have to say. I like the way he just, just... There's no messing about when it comes to his finishing. He smashes them, like smashes them. Yeah, yeah. There's no finesse. It's just absolute power every time, and I love watching it. You know, I do. You do have yeah. to wonder whether or not he's a guy who, who is going through a particularly purple patch. Sure, I, th- um, I think he probably is. I yeah. think he probably is, and he's in a team which is uh, which is performing really well, and they've got some really exciting players, Leicester. Uh, they're fun to watch the way that they play and the way that they attack. So I think, it, it, in a way, it might be a case that where he's at now is exactly the perfect place for him. You know, his his role, his responsibility, the the way that uh, the team works, I guess, to a certain extent for him, uh, and it, it brings out the best of his qualities. Maybe he wouldn't be so effective anywhere else. At 29, it's difficult to... Uh, 29 in January, he's not a guy for the long term, but I like I like watching him, yeah. All right, so look, that's that was from episode 91, back in November. That's what we thought of Jamie Vardy as, as a footballer. Mm-hmm. And we both seemed... Okay, we had some reservations, or we have some reservations based on his age, based on the fact that this was his his one good season in the Premier League, but generally quite positive about him as a player. So uh, before we get on to the other stuff about character and about those those kind of things, people have uh, worried, I guess, that as a player he doesn't fit Arsenal's style, that he thrived in this counter-attacking Leicester style, and that he might find it a bit more difficult to be as effective with us. Where, where do you stand on that? What do you think? I think uh, I don't. I, I think that that question of style is an interesting one. Although I think it's possible that the the team are looking at evolving in their style. That I think the addition of Xhaka is someone who will bring something different to the midfield, and now Vardy could potentially do that in attack. I also think there's a, perhaps a correlation between those two signings. You know, Xhaka is someone who likes to play early long passes from deep, and that's really what Vardy's thrived on at Leicester. However, I also think that the attributes Vardy has, speed clinical finishing, intelligent movement. I think they're as useful inside a you know, a crowded penalty area as they are in open play, in open space. You know, I think that he can bring some of those elements to to a, a more congested game. And I also and I think that if you look at his goals last season, they're not all counter attack breakaways. There's great variety to them. So the question of style is not specifically one that troubles me, especially because I don't think our style was particularly effective last season. So if we are looking at changing, 
I think that could be a, a positive thing. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we we bemoaned the type of football that we were playing last season because it was pedestrian, because it was it didn't have cohesion, it didn't have fluency. We didn't quite know how we were supposed to be playing. And it seems to me that the the two signings that he's made, a deep-lying, ball-playing midfielder and a spiky, fast, aggressive striker, are indications that he wants to address that. Uh, so I don't worry about our style or him compromising our style in any way because our style last season wasn't really worth talking about. So I've got no real issue with that. I tend to agree with you that I think in around the box, if he is quick and if he is aggressive, maybe he falls over a bit too much, he might win us the odd penalty. Who knows? Um, but, you know, I, I do think that if you have a more mobile striker uh, and you've got clever players behind him looking for those passes... You know, it's not like he's going to be darting here, there, and everywhere with with nobody in the midfield. We'll have we'll have Alexis Sanchez, we'll have Mesut Ozil, we'll have Santi Cazorla, we'll have guys who can uh, Jack Wilshire, hopefully. You know, people who can play that creative role really well. So I don't really have any problem. Uh, I don't see that it's a it's an issue or that he's completely incompatible with Arsenal as a striker. I just I just don't see it. How do you how do you feel about the fact that? He is 29, and he he has been a late bloomer. And that the one season that he's had in the Premier League that's been outstanding it, is is an outlier to a certain extent. I know he did have one really great season, didn't he, at, at Fleetwood, where he scored well, all the goals that made Leicester buy him. Yeah. Um, I mean, does does that worry you at all, that, that he could be a guy who's just, like, had this marvellous one-off season? Is that is that a concern? I don't know. I mean, it, clearly it doesn't worry Arsene Wenger. And yeah. I've been, I've, I've, I, just on that, I've just been having a look now to look at things that Arsene said about Vardy over the course of last season. And it's quite interesting. He was consistently emphatic in his praise. Um, you know, he compared him to Alexis Sanchez in terms of his hunger, says he considers him a lion. Asked about uh, his goal-scoring record, he said it's not a miracle because it's a consequence of his quality. The miracle is that he played at Fleetwood and didn't play in the Premier League before. And in fact, even in the Independent here, he's quoted as saying that he believes Vardy is worth £30 million because he's the best goal-scorer in the league. Wow. You have many players under him who have been paid much more who don't score that number of goals. Without a doubt, he's worth that money. Today, mm. players so, at Arsenal who haven't done that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So obviously he considers he's getting a snip, and he compares it to the thirty. He's asked about that thirty million figure and compares it to the money that uh, Manchester United paid for Martial, and says when you look at what strikers cost, thirty million for Vardy would be nothing. I think the signs were there all along. That this yeah. was something he was con contemplating. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But as for me, I. I do think we don't know. You know, Vardy's had an incredible season, but we don't know to what extent that's based on the the, the way Leicester was set up for him. Um, you know, they, they had a fantastic year. It, this might be the apex of his career. He's at an age where potentially we could see a downturn now. It's so much of his game is based on pace. How long will that last? But really, I don't... I mean, this is where we get to the crux of it, isn't it? How long-term a signing is this? You know, yeah. Is he going to get slower between May and August? Probably not. <laughs> and is Arsene Wenger thinking about the next four years, even if he gives Vardy a four-year deal or a three-year deal with a one-year option? I don't think he is with this one. I think he's looking at Arsenal need a striker for next season. I don't believe that the long-term option is available to me this summer, so I'm going to get the guy who can be of immediate help. Yeah. Um, and I think that's... 
that's reasonable. I think it's reasonable to expect that Vardy should, in August, be at a similar level to the one he was at the end of last season. Yeah, I can't believe that Arsene Wenger is buying a guy based on just one season. I think he probably would have done a bit more homework than that, wouldn't he? Of course, and I remember how close Arsene Wenger is with Roy Hodgson, and Hodgson is someone who's brought Vardy into into an international setup, seen him play with players who probably are a higher caliber as individuals uh, than most of the Leicester squad, seen how he's coped with you know that environment, and I'm sure that will have played a part in his thinking as well. Mm. Um, I, I think going to Arsenal and a Champions League club is probably a step up again from international football, but. If, if, if we've learned anything about Vardy, it's that he, he doesn't seem intimidated by by that kind of environment. No, I, I think he wants... He's looked at him as a guy who has made... Uh, who's come from the lower leagues into the Premier League, has got this this hunger. He Wasn't it interesting that Arsene Wenger spoke a while back about South Americans mm. and South American strikers and why they're so good? He says they have because... I'm paraphrasing, but basically because they come from nothing and they have to work so hard to make something of themselves and they have this inherent, this innate hunger um, to be the best. Mm. And certainly you could you could say that um, is relevant in the Jamie Vardy case based on the, the rise that he's had and the late development this, that he's had and the late emergence in, into Premier League football. I think he sees him as a really hungry, driven, ambitious football player who will add character and obviously goals to his team. Like Jamie Vardy's not a guy who's going to pull out of a 50-50 if there's a well, chance to, to score a goal. You know, absolutely. and it, it's, it's almost, to me, it's the antithesis of a player. And I'm not trying to pick on Theo Walcott here. I'm just saying that his his uh, Vardy story is almost the antithesis of, of Walcott. Walcott, who was at the club at 16, a special young English talent, clean cut, but had everything at a very early age. And perhaps that has been uh, part of the reason why Theo Walcott hasn't developed in the way that people expected, that people thought he was going to become a much better player than he actually has been. Uh, and it's difficult, isn't it? You know, you're talking about things that are intangible, character and desire and ambition and hunger and all those things. You know, you can't really measure them, but you can see them in the way that a player plays. And mm. in Vardy, you can see it, and Walcott... It's very difficult at times to see to see those qualities. Yeah, absolutely. I think Alexis is a good comparison. As I said, it's one Wenger's made himself. He said of Alexis, he said he's explosive and committed. Vardy is a bit similar. They are like the lion. They have to catch the animal in the first 200 metres. They are these kinds of killers. Mm. Now, killers, lion, committed, they aren't necessarily words that one would associate with Theo Walcott. No. But I think, uh, I think that what's interesting about it, actually, is that Walcott is relevant because is not Vardy, in terms of his style of play, the striker, the kind of striker that Wenger clearly hoped Walcott would become. Yeah, probably, yeah. The, 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 the pace, the direct running, the movement. But, I mean, if you ever expected that that kind of aggression um, from Theo Walcott, then I don't know what Theo Walcott he, he was looking at. But, yeah, you can see, you can see where, he's, where he's coming from in terms of what Vardy offers to the team. Of course. And Vardy, you know, 29, Walcott's 27. It's not a vast gap between mm. them. And, I, and if, I, if I actually, I don't know for sure if Theo Walcott be at the club next season, but the arrival of Vardy, who has effectively replaced Walcott in the international setup, does feel to me like it might precipitate a, a departure. Mm. 
Um, I know we've talked about that at the close of the season anyway, but I, I think Vardy's potential arrival might be another nail in the coffin of, of Walcott's Arsenal career. Kind mm. of, almost even if he stays at the club. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, OK, well, I mean, obviously we'll wait and see. Leicester could be a good move for him. It could, could indeed, you never know. I mean, that's Champions League football, isn't it? Joining yeah. English champions, that would save some, some face, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, OK, look, so as a footballer, we're fairly unanimous or, or united in the sense that this is this is a move that uh, all things going well could work very well for Arsenal. Um, uh, and as a player, he's somebody who can come in and make a, a, a good contribution. Yeah, it could. My, my only sorry, just to stay on this brief. Yeah, yeah. My, my only caveat, my only question, really, is like, do you think is there any part of you that feels like Arsenal are taking the budget option here and is frustrated by that? Um, I'm not necessarily frustrated by it. And again, it comes back to what the what what else do we want to do this summer? Like, if we did go out and spend £70 million on Higuain, what, where do we have to compromise then? Because we have to compromise somewhere. We've got to... We can't uh, do everything that we, we would want to do, I guess. I mean, forgive me for being... I mean, maybe I'm just being naive here, but do we do we really? I mean, we have so much money. No, I know we have... A lot of money, and I think we're going to spend a lot of money. I think we're going to spend um, quite a lot of money this uh, this summer. Mm. But I do think we want to bring in players uh, in a number of positions. I wonder if we have a transfer budget that we've worked out and said, well, look, we can spend whatever it was, £30 million on Granite Xhaka. We can spend £25 million on Jamie Vardy. Maybe we could, we're could. we looking at Mkhitaryan from, mm. from Dortmund. Again, you're looking probably at a, a £20 million fee there for a player who is uh, in the last year of his contract there, I think, as well. So maybe there's an element uh, where that one could be, there could be a bit of brinksmanship going on there or a bit of, a bit of um, negotiation. Like that might be one that that takes a while to go through because of the the contract situation. And Dortmund, as we know, have been willing to keep players uh, in the final year of their contract. Uh, a left back, maybe we need a centre half as well. You know, mm-hmm. so there is there is work to be done and money to be spent across this um, across this summer. So I, I I can see sense if he thinks he can get what he needs from Jamie Vardy for next season or the season after. Um, rather than than going out, but yeah, again, it's it comes down to do we do we put too much stock in price being equal to quality? Sure, Mares cost them four hundred thousand pounds. If we'd gone out and spent four hundred thousand pounds on Mares a couple of summers ago, people would be going ballistic. You know, so it's it's the the price tag doesn't necessarily um, uh, reflect the the quality. Which isn't, which, yeah, which isn't to say that if you bring in Higuain or Lukaku or one of those guys that they're not going to score goals for you. I mean, I think they will or they would. I just think that the reason we're doing it this way is because we want to spend more across the team in general. So that's, that's what I think. Okay, I think, that, I think that's fair enough. I think it's more influenced by the fact that Arsene feels he can't get maybe that top, top, top level. But... Vardy could well be that. I mean, his performance last season was at that top level. Mm. You know, he was right up there with the Agueros and the Canes in terms of goal scoring. So, yeah. with a better team around him, who knows? I mean, it, yeah. So that's the, that's the footballer, um, and I think I think we do agree that it's a good it's a good option and could be a, a really could be a good move. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. So now we talk about Jamie Vardy, the man, mm-hmm. uh, or the character. So, uh, you know, perhaps some of his, uh, the things that he does on the pitch, we've been, I mean, I was, I was quite angry at his dive uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, when he won the penalty off Monreal. Again, it's that balance, isn't it? Is it a clever play or is it a dive? Do you leave your foot in? Do you leave your leg in? I mean, he's not the only player to do that. It's really frustrating and annoying when it happens to you. But football fans being expedient, like if Jamie Vardy pulls on an Arsenal shirt and wins a penalty like that on the first day of the season to to win a game for us, is anyone going to complain? No, obviously not. And I think, you know, and and also, are these not the elements of play? I mean, gamesmanship's a, a broad term, but that have occasionally been missing from Arsenal. You know, have we had the necessary edge? Are we too nice? I yeah. mean, th- these are valid questions. And I, obviously, when it goes against you, it's infuriating. But when you have that in your arsenal, uh, for one of a phrase, then maybe it's maybe it's not such a problem. Maybe we are all hypocrites. Look, look, <laughs> well, yeah, look, people want a bit of edge and a bit of cynicism. And you can talk about, like, your... Diego Costas and players like that who who cross the line a little bit. Um, I guarantee you, though, if if Granite Jacket is a nasty bastard, picks up a couple of red cards during the season, and Vardy is a bit spiky and aggressive and gets involved in a couple of incidents um, and whatever, wins a few penalties, has a dive here and there that, of course, will no longer be called clever play because it's Arsenal, it will be a dive. I think we all know that. But Arsenal end up winning the title next season uh, because of the contribution that these two two guys have made and, of course, everybody else. I do not believe that there's a single Arsenal fan that will be complaining that we've added those two players to the club or that somehow their actions uh, have been... Uh, profoundly negative. You know, we had players, look at Dennis Bergkamp, for example. Mm-hmm. An absolutely sublime, wonderful, talented, gifted footballer. But when it came right down to it, he could be a bit of a cunt to, yeah, the, yeah. to, to the opposition. I'm not saying to us. He was never a cunt to us. But ask Steve Lomas if he thinks he was a bit of a cunt. He probably does, because he got one of Dennis's elbows right in his face. You know, so uh, Patrick Vieira... Again, the same thing. You know, we we will, as football fans, forgive the indiscretions of our own. And it it does challenge you, doesn't it? That You know, one minute this guy is the enemy to a certain extent. He's playing for another team and you're going, oh, he's a fucking dick. I hate the way he does that. I hate the way he does that. And then all of a sudden he's wearing an Arsenal shirt and you have to kind of go, yeah, shit. (laughs) You know, I mean, that is the reality of the situation. You have to just fucking suck it up, you know. We all like to think we're upstanding and moral. I like to think that, that, that I am to a certain extent, but I also like, you know, winning football matches and stuff and titles sure. and cups. So, sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, there's a history of Arsenal players who've had that kind of streak to them. You mentioned uh, Vieira, Burkamp, Ian Wright, Martin Keown. Sure. Jeremy, the, list, the list goes on and on. Yeah. Um, and I think that's an important ingredient in any winning team. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I, you look, the, the gamesmanship and what have you, if you can uh, go out and win it in pure football terms, if you can do it without any gamesmanship, without any cheating, without any back chat to the referee, I think you're you're fantastic and I applaud that. But can you tell me one team, regardless of how good they are at football, that doesn't have that bit of, like, contrary to them? 
This is it. And look, also, look at Barcelona. Look at Barcelona. Like the most gifted team, the most amazing forward line, and they still have those players in Alves, the team. Busquets. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Alves is going now, but you know, that's, that's always been there. Yeah. And even the players we revere at Arsenal, you take somebody like Robert Perez, as much as we all adore him, I, I think we'd all admit that he was—he he could be prone to a tumble. You know, he could—he could fall over in the penalty box on a couple of occasions. Well, well you, you can admit that if you. Yeah, <laughs> you, you may not, <laughs> but but uh, I don't see him being castigated for it because he was one of our own and he was a great player and that you know we accepted that as part of his makeup and we benefited from it on more than one occasion. Absolutely, so, yeah. It's about winning because when those players contribute to you winning, you do not care. You just yeah. don't care. That's it. I mean, and the thing is, so I think that's all fine. We're talking about stuff on the field there, and I think that right. everyone can make their peace with that. What about uh, some of the controversy that's that's followed Jamie Vardy off the field? Right. Well, I mean, I, I suppose the one incident um, that obviously people will talk about is the the racism incident. Yeah, that's the one I've got in my or mind. Or the, the, the use of, of racist language, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there's, there's absolutely, to my mind, there's absolutely no condoning that or excusing it or saying it was just a simple uh what's the word i'm looking for a colloquialism or anything like that it was completely and utterly out of order and people have asked us a number of people i can't find the the tweets now because i have to restart my thing but a lot of people saying look we had uh, objections to luis suarez for being uh bitey and a racist um because of his incident with uh, patrice evra yeah so what's the difference here uh I, I suppose the the key difference for me is that Vardy wholeheartedly apologised for it. I, he said afterwards at the time, I wholeheartedly apologise for any offence I've caused. It was a regrettable error in judgment I take full responsibility for, and I accept my behaviour was not up to what's expected of me. And I suppose when when you look at that, it is an actual apology. It's not one of those, well, if anybody took offence, then I'm sorry. Mm. You know, it, it's an actual apology. You can't condone what he said. There's no excusing it. It's something that he'll have to carry around with him for the rest of his career. It's not the nicest thing in the world, but I don't know. What can you do? I mean, do you, do you absolutely and utterly condemn somebody forever for that? <sighs> I don't know. It's very difficult. I mean, uh, Jonathan Liu in the Telegraph wrote an interesting blog at the time. I yeah. remember saying that, uh, you know, he felt that Vardy had got a bit of an easy ride. Um, it, it is a different form of apology to what happened with Suarez, I suppose, in that Suarez effectively denied that he was using a racist term. He fought the accusation to an extent. Uh, I don't recall exactly, but I, I, I think John Terry was in a, a similar position where the, the kind of the apology was a little bit half-hearted or unforthcoming. Uh, Vardy does at least seem to have taken responsibility for his actions. His actions remain um, ugly and wrong, and I do feel... I definitely feel some conflict about that. Yeah, I, I was very sure. vehement about Suarez, you know, who, let's face it, is probably, well, definitely a better footballer than Jamie Vardy and would have represented a more attractive proposition in terms of what he brought to the team. But I was very uncomfortable with him coming to the club mm. and, you know, uh, <laughs> I, I, in some ways I was glad that it didn't work out. Yeah. Um, these are, I mean, these are the mental high jumps that you have to go through to an extent. It's, it's that thing, isn't it? That, okay, uh, when he is playing for somebody else, it's very easy to, 
to say, well, that's disgraceful and we would certainly have no part in anything like that. Uh, this is, you know, appalling, reprehensible behaviour. And now he's an Arsenal player and you're like, oh, again, it's the, it's the high jumps you have to, you kind of have to put yourself through as a, as a football fan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I feel a little bit conflicted by it. I don't think it's a particularly, um, it's certainly not something that uh, you would want associated with any Arsenal player. The yeah. fact that he wasn't an Arsenal player at the time doesn't really make any difference. But I suppose you have to take him at his word in terms of his uh, apology. It's it's yeah, you do. I mean, I and I. What do you what do you make? I mean, Arsene Wenger's obviously elected to bring Vardy to a club, uh, a club with a huge. I mean, I guess like all Premier League clubs, a, a multicultural team, multicultural fan base. You have to hope at least that there have been a significant checks on his character to, to think that in some ways that's been accounted for, you know? I suppose so, yeah. But that doesn't change people's actions. Um, so it's very tricky. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a, you know, it is a stain on, on him. And uh, it, it, as I said, it will, it will live with him regardless of his apology uh, because not much dies these days. Things don't fade into the background. But it is, it is what it is. So I don't know. I, I, you know, I don't know what to say other than it makes me uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, there's not much we can do about it. You know, we can't. Would, would you? Would you sign him? Based on you know, relative to that, would it prevent you signing a player? I mean, I'm asking you a difficult question. You don't have to answer it. I don't know the answer for myself. Um, I would have big reservations, but yeah, I, I mean. Football people and football managers are nothing if not expedient, and football fans are too. Um, that things well, can be Wenger, overlooked. Does that absolutely. apply to him as well? Well, he wanted to sign Suarez, didn't he? Yeah, he likes a a, a racist striker with a release clause. <laughs> that's, that's what he's been looking for all these years. Um, yeah, it is. I think it, it's one of those things that people are going to have to come to terms with on on their own terms, in a way. Um, you know, I can't tell anybody how to feel about it. It, it does make me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I'm, I'm also excited about what he might bring to the team and what he might mm. contribute next season. So what, what does that say about me or my character or, or any of us who are feeling a bit like that? So, yeah. I feel exactly the same. I, I don't really have a, a clarity of position on it, which I, I appreciate probably makes me quite a, a deeply unprincipled person. Um, <laughs> But it's definitely casting a shadow over it. Sure, me. sure. Um, but we'll see. But obviously, when as soon as he signs, I'll say he was wronged, and uh, you know, free Jamie Vardy. <laughs> yeah, so j justice for Jamie campaign begins exactly. here. Yeah, no, yeah, look, course. yeah, uh, it is what it is, and uh, I guess I guess we just have to get on with it. Okay, well, look, that's um, that's part one. It's quite a long part one, actually. So we're going to take a short break and come back with your questions and more in part two. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions that you sent to us uh, on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. And thank you very much indeed uh, for sending all those questions. Much appreciated. Obviously, we can't get to all of them, uh, but we do uh, we do read them and appreciate them very much indeed. So, um, presume, James, that we do have some questions about, about Jamie Vardy. We have just a few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
do you want one? Yeah. Oh. Why not? There you go. Straight into it. Um, let's have a look. Let's have a look. Okay, well, this one comes from Chan Dixon, at Chan Dixon. Uh, if... And, and actually, Balo Chele as well. Very similar questions. Do you think Wenger may be tempted to put Vardy on the wing so he can still play Giroud? And Balo Chele asks, if Vardy comes, do you see him starting games ahead of Giroud or will Arsene play him from the flanks? Mm, I think he's buying him to be the main striker. The number nine, the, mm. the, the, the ill-fated number nine shirt. Yeah, is for sure. I mean, who, who, what could go wrong if he takes the number nine? <laughs> following the glorious of the uh, new Jeffers the new Jeffers the new Baptista the new the new did Park wear nine Park was Arsenal's number nine it seems extraordinary I know wow but he did you better not say any more in case you get more trouble on your mouth um, yeah I, I think that there may be times where he does play the two of them I think it's it's quite exciting to think that maybe there are games when we could play two up front Maybe mm -hmm. we could play um, a slightly different system. Uh, but I do think for the most part that he's thinking about Vardy as the main man, as the main striker. Um, and I do also think, I've said it before, I think Giroud is going to be a good player for us next season. I think it's important that we keep him. Uh, I think he, he adds real depth to the, to the striking position. But in Vardy, we've got something different. I think he wants the team to play differently. I think he wants the team to operate differently. I mean, people have said that uh, you know, obviously Vardy thrives on the counter-attack as if we don't have counter-attacks. Yeah. We, we do have them. We're just really, really shit at them. <laughs> We're just no good at them. Which, sure. I mean, you think about the Iwobi goal against uh, Everton. It was like, oh, my, that's so simple and brilliant. Why don't, we, why don't we do that? Why don't we yeah. do that a bit more? Just put the ball over the top. There's a very fast guy who takes it on and scores. I mean, it, it was just stunning in its simplicity, but also in the fact that it wasn't something we've seen very often at Arsenal. And I do think that, there's, uh, that he wants the team to be better on the counter-attack because... Even the best teams, the Invincibles, for all that the football they played on the front foot, and we know that they could go out and destroy teams. We know that. But think about, was it the goal? Yeah, the day we won the league at White Hart Lane. Remember that goal, that first goal? Tottenham had a corner. We cleared the corner. I think the ball came out to Bergkamp or mm -hmm. Henri. It could have been Henri. I think it was Henri. On, yeah. on the left. He fed it to Bergkamp. Uh, who was running down the left-hand side. He put the ball across. Vieira slid in, who'd run from one box to the other box. He slid in and, and scored the goal and made that beautiful sound hitting the back of the net. Absolutely brilliant, scintillating, unstoppable counter-attacking football from a team mm -hmm. that was also uh, one that bossed games. So I think he wants... Uh, his teams to be more in control, but I think he also wants his team to be able to do what they did because it's fucking brilliant and really, really, it's devastating. When you have a corner and all of a sudden you could, how many times did it happened to us that we have a corner and then the, the other lot go up the other, I mean, Wigan Every did it week. to us. Yeah. It's fucking annoying as shit. It really affects your, your, the other team, I think, as well. Because one, one minute you're there going, oh, we could get a goal here, and then it's like, oh, well, fuck, how did that happen? So I think I think that's where he sees him and how he sees him fitting into the team. I think so. I think for him to play as brilliantly as he did as a, a, a striker last season and then to shift him out wide would be strange, bizarre. I mean, we've seen things like that before, but mm. I, I think given that Welbeck's out as well, it's clear that Vardy is being bought prim primarily as a striker and I hope that's, if he arrives, 
where he gets the chance to play. Mm, yes. Um, anyway, over to you. Okay, uh, this one comes from... Uh, Jamie Parker at Parker in 04 and he says can you talk about Arsene Wenger going balls out this window does this signal that the end is nigh I think the implication being that if this is Arsene Wenger's final year that he's he's really going for it I mean it's difficult to say isn't it but what's your sense of that well interesting question in a week where uh, Ivan Gazidis has been quite forthcoming quite outspoken about how his feelings about Arsene and potentially his future I um I don't know. It is a little reminiscent of the Robin Van Persie signing for Manchester United, isn't it? I, I always remember when Ferguson announced his retirement, Arsene Wenger said, well, I saw some signs uh, in pre-season. And he, was, he sort of alluded to the fact that when Ferguson came to sign the 29-year-old Van Persie for around £25 million, pounds, mm. he thought maybe this is a guy who's kind of in last chance saloon and just doing what it takes to get over the line one more time. Um, the, this is one of the more short-term signings we've ever seen Wenger make. And we've seen it in the past when he's been a bit desperate. You know, you think of Arteta coming in at the age that he did from Everton. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, there is something different about it. And it does make me wonder if maybe maybe he is sort of uh, hot-shotting it for, for this year. What, mm. what do you reckon? Yeah, I, I think he is. I think he knows he's got to do something to make his team competitive next season. I think he knows as well that Pep Guardiola is coming uh, to Manchester City. Jose Mourinho is at Manchester United. Jurgen Klopp is going to have his first summer uh, at Liverpool where he's going to be able to spend properly uh, in the transfer market. I think he's going to go big. Uh, Antonio Conte is coming in at Chelsea. So there's four of the biggest rivals, traditional rivals for the Premier League and the top four who are all going to be out in the transfer market uh, looking to do good business. And I, I do wonder if he, this is part of why we're doing stuff early, is to try and get in ahead of, of some of those guys. Um, I think he must realise that the cohesion, while cohesion, of course, is an important factor in building a, a, an effective team and an effective squad, that, that we've, got to, we've got to look beyond that this, this summer. He tried it last summer. He tried almost, I think, to do what he did the summer that we signed Jens Lehmann, hmm. if you remember. Um, we're just bringing in a goalkeeper, but nobody else. And everyone went, oh, wow, what the fuck? And then the next season we go unbeaten. Uh, I'm not sure if, he, if that's exactly what he was trying to replicate, but I think he thought, well, if that could, if that could happen again, um, maybe we could be in a good position. It didn't work. So that, on top of the pressures that are coming... Um, from from outside anyway, from fans who want to see the team properly compete, along with what all the other clubs are going to do, I think he's got literally no choice but to fucking go for it. I don't know what it says about his long-term future or medium future. I don't know if he's going to stay beyond this year or next season. I don't know. I don't think we can say that yet. But I think what we, we can say is that this is a summer that has got off to a good start uh, in the transfer market. And uh, I'm happy to see it so far. I mean, the reality is that even if it's not Arsenal's last year, he still needs a brilliant season next season. Mm. Um, he, you know, if it's his last year, he'll want to go out on a high. If, it, if he doesn't want it to be his last year, he needs to be good enough to convince the supporters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to create an environment where he can stay on. So, I, I guess w whatever the long term plan is, he knows that it's all about next season. Yeah. 
Um, did did what did you make of uh, Gazidis in the Q and A with the fans and the interview you gave with the Telegraph? Did you get any steer from him there at all about what he thinks is going to happen or what he wants to happen? No, or? no. I mean, it was all very bland. Cards close to his chest. Yeah. Yeah. Look, he's a, he's a he's a great talker, and you sit there and you listen to him talk, or you hear him talk, or you read him talk, and you go, God, what a very well spoken, eloquent. Uh, man, Ivan Gazidis is. And then you come away from it going, I don't actually know anything that I didn't already know. Hmm. A, he's a good politician in that sense. Um, so what he thinks about I suppose it was one interesting thing was that when he talked about the time coming to an end or that if he said, if either of us felt... And I think when he said either of us, one is Arsenal Football Club and the board, and the other either of us is, is Arsene Wenger. He said if either of us thought that things weren't going as well as they should be going, then we would we would be prepared to call it a day. And Arsene is aware of that. So that just that just perhaps was a little bit different in the sense that that sounds like a board that would be willing to take decisive action if things didn't go well rather than just, just sit back and take it. If you remember in one of the previous Q&As when he was asked, who is, who is Arsene Wenger accountable to? He said, ultimately, Arsene Wenger is accountable to the fans. Hmm. Not to the board, not to the owner, not to him as the chief executive, but to the fans. And I think that, um, that those comments played a part in, in what happened this season. Because when the chief executive of a football club says, well, it's not down to us. It's not up to yeah. us what happens, it's, it's down to the fans. If the fans make enough noise, then we'll pay attention. Well, some fans made noise last season, and I think they've, they've paid a bit of attention. I think Arsene Wenger has, has also paid a bit of attention. And, and maybe then this is, um, this, is, this is where we are. So, you know, I, I didn't get an awful lot from the Ivan Gazeta stuff. No, I mean, that's no, no great surprise, really, is it? But, uh, uh, yeah... I mean, I, I think ultimately he's got he's got to start moving the board into a more powerful position because he, he probably recognises that, and that will change the way he communicates. Because if Arsene is going to go, um, you know, they need to act with greater authority. So mm. that'll be an interesting one to uh, to follow over the next few months. Uh, yeah. Is it my question? It is, but I just wanted to read this one out from uh, Steve Moore. Oh, go on. At Steve Moore four one one six. Uh, he says, uh, at blog, at Gunner blog, great news Rivardi is the acquisition of a proven Premier League finisher, the final piece in a title-winning jigsaw, followed by, our at blog and at Gunner blog, fuck him, why would we want the diving, cheating, one-season wonder anyway? Too old, in my opinion. <laughs> these, are the, these are the extremes we're operating in, I guess. Yeah, that's true. It's really funny, actually, because I tweeted the other day, you know, the fee was being reported at... Uh, 20 million pounds and I tweeted the Italian media reporting it at 29 and I tweeted I think it might be a little bit closer to that than 20 million and suddenly people were like oh well I think this is a bullshit deal then uh, you know I had so many replies from people like I could kind of make my peace with it at 20 but 25 or 26 no no chance no interest and I find that so fascinating about the Arsenal fans I think because for so long we've been fixated on the finances of the club on the value we, yeah yeah, the value, and we've we've almost become indoctrinated into Arsene Wenger's way of thinking. Whereas the reality is, if a player costs twenty million or twenty six million, but they're the right player, it really shouldn't make any difference to us as supporters. Mm, absolutely, uh, for, I don't think so. Anyway, anyway, yeah. Look, if someone comes along to you and says, "Would you like to buy Adam Lallana for twenty five million pounds?" You go, "Well, no, I'll give you 
a fiver yeah. and you can share my gym membership for a year. That's what sure. I give you for Adam Lalana. You, you know, you wouldn't pay £25 million pounds for, for that guy. But, what, £20 million plus salary plus add-ons? It all, you know, agents' fees here, there and everywhere. You know, there's a... There's a uh, the overall fees are usually a bit obscured, aren't they? And, and you'll be surprised to find out how much players uh, cost above and beyond what, what's actually reported. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that was the case with the Mohamed El Neni deal as well. That people right. said, oh, six million. We, well, I know, but apparently it cost well over uh, 10 or 12 million and could go higher than that. So, mm-hmm. look, fuck it. At this point, I, you know, I don't care. And I think in some ways... Uh, just going back to what we were talking about a bit earlier about Jamie Vardy and the character of him and, you know, the the unlikeliness of this deal, I think part of what is making me not not come to terms with it or have it be, be okay with it in general is that it is, it's just, this is Arsene Wenger doing something that we didn't expect and we all said Arsene Wenger is not a guy who changes, he does things the same way, blah, 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 blah. And there's something just a little bit exciting about that, if, if you get what I mean. that It's not the same old, same old stuff. It is something actually different and people are talking about, well, how do, what, why is he doing this and why is he doing that? And this is a bit of an odd move for Arsene Wenger. I, I, I welcome that. Um, obviously, you know, taking on board the reservations in general about about the signing and, and the character and all those things, which are confusing and difficult uh, to rationalize in your head without making your, yourself feel like a bit of an asshole. Um, so somebody's said it here. Uh, let me just see if I can find this uh, this question here. It was uh, Paulie Boy at P. Fortunato 1985. He says, why does the, the Vardy signing, although good, feel a bit dirty at the same time? I think that's, that's something that we're all dealing with. But yeah. the fact that Arsene Wenger is doing it, there's just something exciting about it. It might go, it might go great, it might go terribly, but it's fucking different. And we've been crying out for different for so long. And here it is. So I'm, I'm on for it. I completely concur. I, I understand that sentiment entirely. And, you know, there's been a lot of opinion pieces put out saying, oh, this is out of character for Arsenal. He's different to, Ars- uh, you know, Arsenal's style. Good! Exactly that. Exactly that. You know, we want a change. We're bored of seeing the same old thing. Um, and while we might have our reservations about the exact individual that we're bringing in, I do think the fact that it's a departure from the norm is a positive. And doing the business in this way is a departure from the norm. We're being... Very efficient, very emphatic. We are spending money. I mean, it, and uh, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm enjoying that aspect of it definitely. Yeah, yeah. At, uh, at Gagan J, he he said, uh, the more aggressive you act in the transfer window, the more successful you are. It's called the Dick Law. <laughs> and then he says, seriously, what's going on with our transfers? Has Dick Law escaped captivity with the club's checkbook? I mean, it is. It's different and it's exciting because of that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, let's have another question. Okay. Well, let's have this one. This is from uh, Ramish on Twitter, and he asks, what's your opinion on the Mares links? Surely we can't bag two Leicester players, can we? Uh, I, I've said on this podcast a number of times that I think we're after a wide forward. Mm-hmm. I think we're... We're in the market for one. There's talk about Mkhitaryan, as we mentioned earlier. There's talk about Mares. I don't know whether Leicester could they sell their two best players to well, to one club. I mean, I think. Look, here's what I think. 
from the Leicester players' point of view, that they know that what they did last season was almost unique. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're going to be able to replicate it. I think they're very much aware of it. I think part of the hunger that's driven those players to that title is also the hunger to move to bigger uh, and more uh, prestigious clubs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's true of perhaps Mahrez, true of Kante, uh, who could probably take their pick of clubs uh, from across Europe at this point. Um, Leicester probably know that as well. Uh, as we've seen with the clauses that they put in the contracts, uh, that they're going to maximise uh, the the potential of these players to bring them in money, which they can then spend to uh, to to buy players. So if we went for for Mares, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, I I take him. He's a very exciting, uh, very creative, goal scoring wide player. Something that we have been missing. And if you're bringing in Jamie Vardy to be your main striker makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it, to to bring in a guy who knows him well and who worked really well with him last season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's pure... Spe- I mean, the, the Sun led with the story and mentioned a buyout clause for Mares. That hadn't been mentioned before, but we know from reports in France that there's one for Kante. We know now there's one for Vardy. It it makes a certain degree of sense that there might also be one for, for Mares. Yeah. Um and I, and I think it is easy to understand the players' desire to move on. I mean, it's not going to get better for Leicester than right now, is yeah, it? No. Uh, those players are heroes, idols, legends. They're, I mean, they they will. Uh, this word gets used probably too much, but they will be immortal there. I mean, what they've done is absolutely unbelievable. And you know, Claudio Ranieri will make the case stay and lead us into the Champions League. Okay, maybe, but really, there isn't that much to be gained this year. Um, well, the, the, I, yeah, go on. No, no, I just, I, I do completely understand the desire to go out at the highest point, at the the peak of their time with Leicester, and absolutely that is now. Yeah, it is, and it's also when Leicester, as a football club, can make the most from these players. Yeah, I mean, they've got to, they've got to balance the desire to keep them because they're very good players with the knowledge that if next season doesn't go quite as well, you could be talking about maybe getting £10 million less per player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's a, that's a bit of a gamble. And I know we talk about millions and millions as if it's peanuts in, in terms of football, and there, there is obviously a huge amount of money splashing around in the game. But, you know, £20 million to a club like Leicester is going to be is going to be a lot of money. Um, so I think, you know, it's trying to find that balance. Those players know as well that if they don't have a good season next season, their chances of joining one of the top clubs will be will be much uh, much less. So I think that there'll be an element of these guys wanting to go this summer as well, regardless of, of how well things have gone for them at Leicester and, and how much they've enjoyed it. Of so, course. And also, very cynically, I mean, Vardy, he, he makes about £60,000 a week at Leicester. I, I, he could get close to doubling that at Arsenal, I would suggest. Yeah. Um, and also, he'll be given a, a new three- or four-year contract, which at 29... I mean, that's massive security, you know. Sure. And for a player who came from such a, a humble beginning in terms of his football career, mm. must be enormously, enormously tempting. Sure, sure. Uh, um, by the way, Jamie Vardy, breaking news, has just boarded the plane to France with the England squad. So right. that, that notional 11.30 deadline... Where did where uh, did that 11.30 deadline come from? It came from, I think, the BBC... 
Um, I think David Ornstein at the BBC said he was expected to give the club his final answer before the 11.30 deadline, so if he has given it, it will be done. They know what's happening. They know what's happening. This is all just part of the drama. I mean, certainly uh, a medical could be completed while he's with the... England team. I don't think you know Gary Gary uh, Gary Lewin himself will be there. So mm. I think that Arsenal would probably trust him to to sort all that out. So. Yeah. So I, we just what, what you're saying is that we should be keeping an eye on the travel arrangements of Stuart McFarlane to see yes, if he that's, to see if he posts a picture of Lefe from France somewhere or uh, going just going on the Channel Tunnel for no reason whatsoever what? with all my cameras. Yeah, what we what we're hoping as well is that one of Jamie Vardy's entourage will take some Snapchat pictures of him, <laughs> you know, undergoing his Arsenal medical and unveiling. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. We wait and we see. We oh. wait and we see. All right. Just while we're on that, very quickly, Magnus Holmberg and also I think it was Richard Champion at Che Champion. Uh, very very brief one. Mares or Mkhitaryan? Which one would be uh, your your preference? Um, I think. I may get laughed out of town by by the by the hipsters for this, but maybe I think I'd go Mares, you know. Just his goal output I think is superior. And he's someone who I've seen tested in the Premier League and flourish. I don't know how much value that has these days with football being so mm. you know, joined up as it were across across different countries. But I think I don't know, maybe with Vardy coming in as well, that natural understanding. Uh, I've just really loved watching Mahrez last season and I would, it would give me a thrill yeah. to see him in, a, in an Arsenal shirt. What about you? Same, same. Yeah, he's, he's Premier League established and uh, yeah, it makes, it makes sense on many levels. Um, more, than, more than Mkhitaryan, who I wouldn't be unhappy with either, I should say, no. but I would prefer, prefer Mahrez. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be happy with Mkhitaryan at all from what I've seen. He's an excellent player, but Mahrez mm. is, yeah, I just I, I think he'd be a, a great a great fit for mm. us. Okay. Um, okay, do you want another question? Sure. How about one that's not about Jamie Vardy? How do you feel about that? Wow, this is I groundbreaking know. stuff. Okay, it's a bit of a risk. Okay, we'll go for well, it. It's from Adam, for- Adam Brooks at Harry Knows Dad on Twitter. And he says, given the choice, which you now are, who would you have as backup goalie next season? Ospina or Chesney? I like Chesney. I do like him. I like, I like him as well. I've always liked him. I think Ospina is, is a fantastic number two. Like a mm. really great quality number two goalkeeper to have. Um, I, I think perhaps he was... You know, last season where he made that mistake in a Champions League game that he probably mm. shouldn't have been starting because Arsene Wenger, I don't know why, decided to pick him rather than uh, first choice Petr Cech. Uh, and he made that mistake. I think that reflected badly on him. But in general, his performances last season were, were really good. Um, that, that weird habit of standing behind the line notwithstanding. <laughs> um, but no, I think, he's, I think he's a great number two goalkeeper. I just don't think that he will want to stay at Arsenal next season. Now, I think this is going to be a really interesting thing this summer. I don't know that Wojciech Szczesny will want to stay at Arsenal as number two next summer either. Which leaves us with Emi Martinez... And uh, Matt Macy. Matt Macy is not somebody Arsene Wenger obviously trusts enough to give a first team 
run to. Remember when Ospina got clattered at Everton and spent about 15 minutes of the game just unable to move? Yeah, he still kept yeah. him on. Uh, and Amy Martinez, he had a, a, lone spin, a, a lone spell at Wolves, which started quite well, but I don't think he played really much after, after Christmas, after right. the new year. So that didn't go as well as we had expected. So... If Chesney was prepared to, to 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 do it, I would like Chesney. I know he rubs people up the wrong way. I know some people don't like him. I like him as a player. I think he's good character, bit of a cunt. Uh, when you consider we're going to add a couple of other cunts to the team this uh, this summer, I don't see a, don't see a problem with that side of things. If the loan spell in Italy has matured him a bit, all the better. But again, I think it's just going to be one of those situations where. The manager's going to find it a little bit difficult. It is, on. It's just difficult to get a good number two goalkeeper, because anyone good enough to play first team football doesn't want to sit on the bench for an entire season. And anyone that's happy to sit on the bench for an entire season, you've got to ask questions about a their quality and b their their mentality. Why? Why? Like, sure. wouldn't you like to sit down with Stuart Taylor and Richard Wright and say? Why? What, why did you spend your entire careers, for the most part, Taylor in particular, just sitting on the bench and never playing football? How could you go through week after week after week of training and not play? I don't know how any footballer could do that. I just don't understand it. There's got to be something weird about the psychology of goalkeepers that they're prepared to, to just live like that. Okay, I'll get to play the odd cup game, and if the guy gets injured, maybe I'll get a run in the team. But, you know, Saturday, here I am, sitting on the bench. Mm. Next Saturday, I think there's, I mean, I know there's... Counting their money. (laughs) Essentially, I mean, if that's what it is, I think there's got to be something more to it than that, though, right? There's got to be something more to, okay, well, I'm just going to earn loads of money. I mean, you're a professional athlete, a professional sportsman, somebody who apparently loves football. If I mean... Fuck, even at my age, I'm 44 years of age and we play Tuesday night Astro. If I can't play a game because I'm injured, I'm distraught. It's yeah. fuck, it wrecks my head. Of course, I'm, you know, maybe it would be eased by thousands and thousands of pounds a week. But still, <laughs> I just, I do not understand it. So I think it's one of the challenges that managers face is the number two goalkeeper thing. So to answer the question, Chesney. Because okay. I think Ospina will go. Look, I think Ospina will go. I mean, been, there's interest from Turkey, isn't there, it seems. Yeah, Besiktas. Uh, Besiktas. Mm. And uh, Turkey's a nice place to live, so why mm. not? Indeed. Um, okay. What t- what time are we at? We're probably... We've whoa. probably done quite a lot. I mean, it's Jamie Vardy special, isn't it? We've uh, It's been a Jamie Vardy party. Yeah. Okay, well, let's have one more just to finish off, and it's not okay. really a, a, a serious one. Uh, it comes from Geraint Williams at G-W-N-N-E-R. It's like Gunner but in Wales or something. Sure. Um, you have to pay either... either blah, 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 try that again. You have to either pay £5,000 or give up pizza for life. Do you pay the ransom or give up pizza? £5,000? Yeah. I'd pay it in an instant. Yeah. Yeah, no, no questions asked. I haven't got five thousand pounds necessarily, but you'd take a loan, eh? Would you? You go to the bank and say, "I need I, a loan." I'm not, yeah, I can't. I'm not giving up pizza for life. That'd be ludicrous. Yeah. It's not enough money. 
how much money would it have to be for me to say, what would you say? Would you give up pizza? No, I don't think I could. I love pizza so much. Same. It's just fucking What's your ideal delicious. pizza topping? I'm just, I just like pepperoni and some chilies. Yeah, yeah. Really into that. That's lovely. I mean, if you want to put more kinds of meat on it, that's also okay with oh, me. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good with with all kinds of meat, but just classic, simple pepperoni, bit of chili, even just a regular cheese fucking slice is good. I'm, I'm all for that. I'm not. I'm not into ham and pineapple, as we've Sweet said corn, here before. I'd say no to sweet not corn. Absolutely not. Mushrooms. Fuck off. Yeah. Not into mushrooms, but any kind of meat or peppers or chilies. Red onions are good. I can, Do you not like mushrooms generally? I don't mind them, but... Pff, I don't really on, like not them. On, not on pizza. Like, I'm, if I never had a mushroom again in my life, I wouldn't care. Just would not care. It wouldn't bother me. But if I sure. never had a pizza again in my life, I would be devastated. I really don't like mushrooms. I'd probably pay to not eat mushrooms if we can arrange that. Yeah. Uh, the, the price, what would the, how much would the ransom have to be for you to say, okay, I'll give up the pizza? What would your limit be? In terms of what you would pay like to be permitted 5, to eat pizza. £5,005. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's I a very think. narrow window that's available <laughs> to you. It, it, would, it would also depend who you're paying. Who am I giving this £5,000 to? Just some fucking guy that's, what, going to follow me around for the rest of my life and make sure that I don't have pizza? How does that work? He's a hitman. He's a hitman. You know that he'll assassinate you if you break your... But how contract. could he know? How could he... You know, I could, like, surreptitiously eat pizza in my house. I could make my own dough and buy my own cheese. I know it's not quite the same, but I, I make a decent home uh, pizza at home. I've got a stone that I can, you know, cook them on. Okay. A whole lot. It's good. Not the best, but, you know, still perfectly cromulent pizza. But I don't know how this person would know that I was eating that. So... Maybe I wouldn't pay the £5,000. Oh, no. I do like pizza if you go places. New York, for example. Pizza's brilliant. <sighs> I think I'd pay up to ten grand. <laughs> you realise now that we've left ourselves open. Open to blackmail and... Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well. People will point guns at us. I mean, they, won't be taking well our, they won't be taking our phones. No, they'll, they'll be taking be our money take, or our, pizza. our pizzas. Your money or your life or your pizza. Yeah, which is it? <laughs> take my life. Please, <laughs> anything but the pizza. Um, well, there we go. There so, we yeah, go. I'll pay. I'll pay. Whoever you are, I'll pay up. All right. So, look. Well, um, by the way, breaking news. Jamie Vardy got on the plane, and in the England photo call, just before they boarded the plane, he stood next to Jack Wilshire. Oh, it's done. What, it's what more proof could you need? Absolutely, 100% done. The Jack is in there giving him the old, it's great, it's really good. So you yeah, like it. Down. You just have to sit in the treatment room, don't even have to play, it's brilliant. <laughs> well, if, yeah, if we needed any more proof that this uh, was going to happen, there, there it is. Oh, the standard. Look at this. What? As this? we're breaking. I'm looking at this. Who's doing that? It's James Ollie. Who, as we know, is well in on the Arsenal beat. Oh, autoplay video, fuck you. Um, They're awful. West Ham are sounding out the possibility of signing Arsenal's Theo Walcott. Another one, fuck well. off, Jennifer Aniston. Um, she didn't write the story, it's just she was in the autoplay video. Um, 
OK, West Ham are sounding out the possibility of signing Arsenal's Theo Walcott for a fee in the region of £25 million. Standard Sport understands the same agency negotiating Jamie Vardy's potential move from Leicester City to the Gunners are also involved in Walcott's possible departure. They are the same agents, right? They have they the same agency. They agent, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the two transfers are linked, given Arsenal are unlikely to sanction Walcott's departure until Vardy's switch is confirmed, although the former's future at the Emirates Stadium has been unclear for some time. It's believed the 27-year-old has grown frustrated at a lack of first-team opportunities during the second half of last season but will find it difficult to leave the club he joined 10 years ago from Southampton. So there you mm. go. Jamie Vardy out, 25 million. Theo, or uh, Jamie Vardy in, 25 million. Theo Walcott out, 25 million. You're operating at like a zero fucking net spend, whatever the fuck thing. Great. And then we can still buy Higuain for 60 million. 70 million. We could <laughs> just spend, just give them 80. Who cares? Who cares, guys? Yeah, so there release you go. Release clause, schmelease clause. Shit's going down, though. Shit is yeah. going down, James. We should Getting probably busy. just we should probably just keep this podcast going all day. There'll be loads just of live stuff podcasts. Yeah, but then they'll have to listen to it after the event. No one's listening to this now. Yeah, shit. Mm, difficult Ar- one. Aaron Ramsey says Wales must improve. Nah, their hair. Aaron Ramsey must improve his haircut. Yeah. That's my that's my opinion. Do you know how much I care about Aaron Ramsey's haircut? Not very much at all. Not a single thing. Don't give sure. a fuck. Do not care. Do not care for his hair. No, I don't care uh, for it, but I don't care about it either. Sure. Yeah. I get it. I'm yeah. with you. Okay, cool. Let's uh, go, let's go. We've let's done it do all. We've it, done yeah. it all. We've done too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've... Too much, too young. Yeah, where do we go from like here? Like Theo <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you can be the Jamie Vardy of this podcast. Just uh, stay away from casinos, all right? Okay. All righty. Thank you, as ever, for listening, folks. We'll be back next Monday with another Arscast. Uh, The Euro's starting next weekend? They start on Friday. Right, so we'll have all kinds of stuff and football and things to talk about. Um, Mm. So, cool. All right, well, join us then, if not before. In case something really big happens, maybe we'll convene for a a briefie. Who knows? Mm -hmm. All right, uh, have a good one. Cheers. Bye-bye. 